This is The Global Custodian. There's always a FinReg Angle podcast keeping you up to date with the latest developments in financial regulation. Hello and welcome to the first episode of There's Always a FinReg Angle, the podcast exploring the latest updates in financial regulation produced by Global Custodian. I'm John Watkins and the editor of Global Custodian and I'm joined virtually today by a cast of FinReg experts. We have Deputy Editor of Global Custodian, Joe Parsons, Head of Market and Regulatory Intelligence at City, Sean Tuffy, and post-trade fintech analyst and advisor, Virginie O'Shea. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Hi. Hi there. 30 seconds in and we're already speaking over each other. That's a wonderful start. Uh, Sean and Virginia, you're uh, you're both regulatory experts and the the post-trades industry's very own version of uh, social uh, media influencers, I would say. So how are you uh, both keeping up with all this regulatory news right now? And uh, is is there a danger you're going to run out of appropriate memes by the end of all this? (laughs) It's... uh... There's never, never going to run out of any memes. Uh, I don't think there's any fear of that. But it, it's, uh, I'd say it's challenging to keep up with sort of the, the rolling uh, delays uh, and various implications and regulations that, and forbearance that regulators are, are coming out with. And they also seem to be favoring a Friday evening news dump, which is uh, less than ideal, to be honest. They do love that, don't they? They they definitely do love that. I, I, I notice every time we have some sort of holiday coming up, the regulators tend to dump a load of consultation papers on us. So we uh, <laughs> we end up having to plough through them over a, over a long weekend or something to try and figure out what on earth's going on. But yes, it certainly is. It's challenging to to be able to ke- keep up at the moment. And, and certainly, I'm using Twitter, but it's it's dangerous with Twitter. To obviously, I follow all the regulators on there. Um, it's dangerous because you can end up down a Twitter wormhole very quickly if you start looking at the news sites, which is, is kind of scary at this, de- this time in, <laughs> in what's going on in the world. You can. I mean, obviously, I'd always recommend going to uh, directly to news sites for your news, um, such as Global Custodian. You know, obviously, Twitter is, is a fast way of getting news, but you really want that in-depth content. So there's my plug for Global Custodian uh, right, <laughs> right out of the gate. Um, <laughs> And Virginia, look, I think on, on Fridays now, it, it's fair game. I mean, no one's going to the pubs anymore, so um, a Friday five o'clock news dump isn't isn't quite so bad anymore. I think that's what you're going to see over the Easter weekend. Over the Easter weekend, you're going to, you get Thursday at five o'clock, and then, yeah, you're going to get sort of 200 pages of, of uh, ESMA consultation to go through. You've got to do something when, when you're, uh, you're not going out of the house for this weekend. That's true. You can take, you can move from your your kitchen table where you're doing your work over to your sofa, sit there, read some regulatory consultations, and your weekend is made. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> good. Okay. Well, um, good to run, uh, run out of appropriate uh, memes as well. I mean, I know that you're going through the uh, the backstock of um, eye stock images, and uh, Virginia, I think you've even moved on to medieval cats uh, recently. I saw. I have, of course, uh, taking one love of cats and incredibly bad drawing that seems in keeping with uh, some of the regulatory uh, proposals. I think I think they kind of go quite well together. Some some of them are quite draconian, so you know, brings to mind that uh, that kind of uh, imagery. Yeah, we'll keep them coming. Very entertaining. Um, I uh, should also introduce at this point our producer, Kais Khalil. Kais, uh, how and, and where are you? Hello, everyone. Well, now I am back up north in Manchester. I'm pretty good. I'm uh, doing this from my kitchen, which is also quite entertaining, a new challenge. And yeah, I'm all kind of green to 
Fimreg. So I'm very excited to learn some new things here on this podcast. I'm just going to sit in and listen. So yeah, yeah. kind of exciting and lo- love the love the memes coming from you two guys. Uh, some of them go over my head, but still a meme's a meme and it still gets me chuckling. It's all about that gift game. <laughs> gift game, gift game. And, and Kais, um, we're pronouncing that right, I take it. Yeah, so it's a weird name, mine, actually. So it's just like ice with a K is the best way to say it. So, uh, yeah, Kais. Thanks. And Virginia, we should all we should clear up names just before we get going. So, Virginia, we're saying that right as well, yes? You can say it however you want. I mean, I, I get all kinds of pronunciations. The only thing I object to is ein at the end. If they miss the, the, the last I, that's not a very nice way of pronouncing my name. So it's, it's either Virginie or Virginie. I don't mind by either of those. They're both fine. <laughs> oh, I feel your pain. It feels like we've had this uh, all our lives explaining our names. Unfortunately, so. This is the show rundown. No, let's uh, let's let's get uh, in, into some of the, the talking points of, of today's podcast. Um, I guess we should start by highlighting why we're doing this. Um, obviously, unfortunately, due to the coronavirus world we're living in now, uh, these regulatory updates are cropping up all the time. And uh, Sean, your catchphrase of, so what does it mean for FinReg has never really been uh, more relevant, I don't think, because there's changes occurring with this global pandemic every day, which means we're having to see regulators adapt, uh, delay, and, and like you said, communicate on a, on a daily basis now. So it's pretty hard to keep up because you've got different regulations, um, different regulators taking different approaches. Yeah, you've got existing rules being updated. These timetables are shifting constantly, whether it's formal delays, soft delays, no delays. Um, there, there is always a, a FinRig angle. Uh, we've even had to tweak the agenda slightly overnight because of delays and changes to the uncle- uncleared margin rules timetable. So uh, lots to discuss. Um, but before we get onto those topics, look, we're all working remotely, as you can probably tell from the different sound qualities coming through everyone's microphones. Um, it's got its upsides and upsides and challenges, which I'm sure everyone listening uh, can relate to. So I thought we'd start by asking um, each of you to give us one expectation versus reality shock that you've had since working from home. Uh, Joe, why don't you start? I'm, I'm kind of dying to know what you do between working on all those many, many stories you're producing each. Yeah, sure. So uh, what I expected to, I'll still be able to you know, get the same amount of exercise I'd normally do. Um, you see you see on the TV, there's so many workout sessions you can do from the laptop or the, the, the Joe Wicks is doing it on, on the TV in the morning. So I thought I'd be able to, you know, plug in for maybe half an hour, do a quick exercise and then carry on to the rest of my day. But the thing is, because I live in a townhouse, my living room is on the middle floor in, in between two other townhouses. So when they're getting me to do all these squat jumps and uh, uh, and uh, burpees or whatever it is, it could pretty much reverberate around the whole entire house. So I can imagine you know, I've got guys next to me, neighbours next to me, you know, thinking, oh God, he's, he's, he's jumping about again. What is he doing? So that's, uh, that's 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 been a bit of a reality shock. <laughs> I think I've got some bad, uh, some uh, grumpy neighbours now. Cut down on those Zumba classes, then, Joe. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, what about you uh, over in Dublin? Um, I understand. Uh, what, what's your kind of expectation reality shock you've had so far? Yeah, I mean, I'd say the the biggest shock has been so uh, from working from home is that my my wife also works from home. We live in a relatively small uh, city center apartment, so it's sort of been transformed into like a really terrible version of WeWorks, uh, which has been uh, an adjustment to say say the least, but we don't have any of the uh, free kombucha or booze to help us get it through the day. 
So all, all the drawbacks of uh, a small, expensive space without any of the perks. It's, uh, exactly. <laughs> a tough one. Uh, Virginia, I know you worked remotely quite a lot in, in your career. Um, any, any differences in, in this environment? Well, I'd agree with both what, what uh, Joe and Sean are saying. To be, to be honest, yeah, trying to exercise indoors, you, I'm, I'm in top floor flat, so God knows what the people downstairs think when I'm jogging in place in, in my bathroom just to try to get a bit of exercise in. <laughs> Ditto, I'm having to, to share the front room with my other half. So it's uh, somewhat noisier in here than normal. So the cat is, is really quite cross with us because he's getting disrupted uh, sleep during the day, which is uh, not the best thing for him. But uh, <laughs> I think he's having the worst experience, uh, although he does have two slaves uh, to hand whenever he needs anything in terms of food or anything. But uh, certainly it's, it's a, an adjustment for us all, shall we say. Well, it's good to know there's winners out of this. The, the animals and pets are definitely winning from this situation. So, um, yeah, cats, small spaces, exercise, a lot of uh, problems that our listeners, I'm sure, can relate to. But for now, um, you know, in keeping with our theme, there's always a Finreg angle. There is certainly one to the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. So, Joe, um, why don't we uh, pass it over to you and, and we'll kind of get uh, digging into some of the main themes we want to discuss today. Yeah, thanks, Sean. So, um, just, just following on from from what you mentioned earlier, um, you know, staying on top of the, the the mountain of of announcements from regulators about various delays and consultations and all these announcements, it's just such a huge task and keeping track of pieces of legislation that was expected to come in within the next month or two. You know, seeing this really sort of push down the line. So. Let's start off with, you know, just getting a basic idea of what regulations have been delayed and what is what still has to happen. So maybe Sean, um, maybe you could sort of have a, just quickly run through um, what's been announced so far and um, uh, what are these sort of soft delays or, or are they pushing back for a whole uh, for a whole year? Yeah, sure, no problem. Happy to. As you said, there is a, a lot going on, and uh, keeping track of it can be can be a challenge in terms of what the regulators have been doing. Um, there are a couple angles they're looking at. And so one of the angles, what they're doing is sort of delaying impending implementations uh, where they think it's appropriate. And so what we've seen so far is SFTR, which is the securities financing transaction regulation, uh, that reporting requirement. The first phase was due to go live in April and that's been pushed uh, by, by three months to July. The other thing we've seen is the uncleared margin rules uh, be delayed by a, a, a year. So that's pushing back the fifth wave to 2021 and the sixth wave to 2022. Um, beyond that, the next what I think the industry is looking for is to see what other regulations could possibly be delayed. And I think that really a lot of that depends on how long the sort of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic stretches out and continues to disrupt markets. So I think a lot of people have their eye on the incoming ESG disclosure rules for March of next year, along with the CSDR mandatory buy-in regime uh, as possible candidates for further delay. Though that said, uh, the industry can't you know, really bank on that as of yet. So I think there are still, everyone should be sort of continuing to work on those implementations. Great. And, and Virginia, I mean, great, it'd be good to know, you know your take on this. And you know, are these the announcements so far, how significant are they? And do they sort of sense, uh, set a sort of benchmark of what we would most likely expect with other regulations for this year? 
Well, I noticed that obviously the industry is asking for FRTB also to be pushed back. I know that that came in today, I think. Um, I don't know whether they'll be successful in lobbying that because it, it starts next year. Um, but the, the biggest crunch here is going to be if we start pushing everything back, um, do we start pushing all the other regulations that are coming into force next year back as well? I mean, how how far down the tail do we do this? Because obviously it's going to have an impact. You know, the more you push, um, the more ha- comes into force at the same time. So um, it's not going to be, uh, it could be an undue burden on a lot of the compliance teams, uh, a lot of the operations teams having to put into, you know, actually comply with these um, regulations and, and requirements. So it could be quite painful for the industry if we don't think about the longer term view. I mean, we, we can't just delay certain bits without thinking about all the other bits um, that are being delayed as well. So it, it really isn't isn't going to be easy. Uh, and I'm not sure the regulators do really have the desire to push everything back that far. Um, obviously, they want to get on and back to business as usual as, as quickly as possible. So maybe they do want to cause a crunch. I mean, they, they quite often do have that where we've got lots of different pieces of regulation coming into force at the same time. Over the last few years, we've had endless waves of it seemingly past post-2008. So it, it does feel a little bit like we could get to a crunch point next year or the year after if we've got a lot of things that have been delayed coming into force at once. Uh, it is a significant concern. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. And I think it's not without precedent because a couple of years ago, MIFID II and TRIPS sort of all ran into each other. Um, and that's because of sort of delays, the delays of MIFID ran into TRIPS delays. So I think it is worth considering, well, the industry is getting a sort of some respite at the moment. There could be some long-term pain coming in either 21 or 22. I mean, I think a lot of the time we don't think about that. Though, do we? we don't think about all of the interaction points. Um, I, I certainly, you know, in, until it happens to us, because uh, we regulations often drafted in isolation uh, as well. And, and I remember thinking when when Amir and, and Mifir um, were coming into force, there was a lot of uh, discrepancies between them as well. So working groups uh, working in isolation now we're in actual physical isolation. Is it going to make it even worse? Um, I, I, I've got to wonder about that. I don't know what that impact of that sort of the cultural aspect of being isolated and its impact on things is, is, is another thing to think about going forward. Um, what are all these regulators doing in their bunkers under Brussels <laughs> and uh, Paris? I don't know. Um, mm. And obviously, they're going to be short-staffed um, if, if people are coming down with, with the virus as well. You think but Michel Barnier came down with it, didn't he, a few weeks ago. So, goodness, uh, what, what's that going to do to Brexit? <laughs> Very fine. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're talking about uh, uh, FinReg and not even, we're not even mentioning Brexit, which is uh, incredible, really. Who would have thought that six months ago? Um, and, and Virginia is a good point about the, the short staffed, um, you know, Esmer are going to be facing their own challenges as will, will regulators all over the world. Um, I mean, they're going to have to prioritize what they're, they're looking at because um, all this action is, like you say, they've got to be very well thought out. I'm going to make sure there's not a bottleneck in years to come. I mean, the SFTR was one of the first announcements because it was, it was coming into force in April. But at the same time, wasn't that something that people were almost there, almost ready for, almost uh, fully prepared for. Was that a bit, maybe a bit of a surprise then that that was one of the first things they moved to delay? SFTR? I, I don't think anyone was ready for it, really, were they? I mean, I, I mean I'm, I'm, I'm very tongue-in-cheek here, but I mean, I, I do think that that's one of the pieces of regulation that most people were. It's, it's a very, very, what's the word? 
antiquated bit of the industry, sadly. Um, and there are a lot of very old technologies in, in securities financing, sadly. Um, and some of the requirements are quite onerous in terms of reporting. So I'd say quite a lot of firms were probably going to be winging it anyway. Um, yeah. and, and I think that was a logical one because obviously a lot of those uh, technologies, shall we say, are not enabled for a cloud environment uh, and they're going to be struggling with operational resilience anyway. So uh, think about it in that, that perspective. So all the yeah. paper that people have to cobble together to be able to do reporting uh would probably other workarounds are probably uh, going to be difficult to do in a remote environment. So yep. I wasn't that surprised when that one was delayed. No, the technology point's really good. I think I was referring to more, you know, the, the, the 155 fields, that's going to be a problem no matter when you do it. So, but the, the technology point is, is really valid. Um, and, and so Virginia, to go back to, the, I think the first part of that question, do you think there will be a kind of prioritization of, of, of what the regulators are looking at if, if in fact they are a bit shorthanded? Um, I think when when it comes to crises such as these, I mean, not that we've ever faced anything exactly like this, um, regulators tend to focus more on the consumer angle. Certainly the FCA is, if I think about our local regulator here, um, they're looking at consumer protection, obviously lending activity, that kind of stuff. Um, resilience of the market overall is the priority rather than some of the more sort of backwater areas of financial services that, that don't um, tend to have a systemic impact. So I think it tends to be the, the things that are most consumer facing that are most obvious, maybe on the retail trading side, that kind of stuff tends to get prioritized over anything. And, and resilience um, of banking tends to be the priority uh, on the buy side. I guess it's, yeah, again, resilience uh, is another priority. I, I don't know whether Shield agrees with me on that, but I, I see that that's where the focus is, is, is going. Yeah, I mean, I think that's absolutely right. Because you look at what's happening in the U.S., for example, where the SEC announced last week to the surprise of a lot of people in the, in the industry that they were going to move ahead with their regulation best interest regulation um, that comes into force in June. Um, and that's sort of a, a fiduciary rule light um, regulation, but it's really focused on enhancing consumer protection. And, you know, in the announcement, they said that it, that's a priority for them as well. So I think that's a really good point that at least in the, the short to medium term, the priorities for the day-to-day -day are really going to be around protecting the, the consumer uh, and then investor. So, Sean, maybe on that point as well, do you see, are there uh, a, co a conversion sort of take between the US regulators and, and European and UK with regards to delaying implementation of legislation? So I think if you looked at the US agenda, it's a little lighter on the implementation side compared to the European side. So what, what's coming in in the U.S. this year is regulation best interest, which the SEC has said they're not going to delay, along with um, sort of some ETF rules that come in at the end of the year. So I don't expect any real delay on that side. So what we're seeing in the U.S. converging with Europe is the approach to delaying open consultations uh, for longer periods. So the U.S. has a, a derivatives rule for mutual funds that they've delayed the, they extended the consultation for another month, similar to the way ESMA has extended the consultations on MIFID transparency and third country rules. So I think the prioritization point, we're also seeing regulators slow down work on sort of the open consultations and rulemaking, um, which again could lead to this crunch down the line when eventually they sort of get back in gear uh, to, to progress those pieces of rulemaking rule through the process. And I, and I guess in prioritization, I guess some, something like the, the LIBOR transition, which um, you know is well underway, that, that's something that we haven't really had anything 
communicated about and, and like you said Virginia it's it's stuff that kind of um, you know, protects the consumer and in this case obviously a very controversial past so uh, something they probably want to, to keep um, to its timetable. I mean, libel is a really horrifying um, <laughs> piece of requirement. You know, it's you start looking at, at where you're you, you having to change processes with regards to libel underlying various areas. And and one um, lady that works in operations at a large asset manager, I won't I won't disclose where, um, said that she you know she started looking at it and uh, she thought that it was only a tiny. She was comparing it to mold in her kitchen. She said she thought she only had a tiny patch of black mold until they took up the um the the wallpaper and then she saw that it had spread across the entire kitchen and into other rooms of the house so um that's that's where she said you know libel seems a little bit like that um and that is going to be painful anyway so during the in these circumstances it's going to be even more challenging um to work on all this stuff across your all your various systems all of your operations it's it's pretty daunting task regardless it was going to be daunting anyway um, I don't know what this does to that that process. Yeah, that's, comparing libel to mold, that's a very uh, a tabloid angle there. I'm sure something people have done in the past <laughs> <laughs> multiple times before. Uh, yeah, and again for global custodian, you know, libel slightly less um, relevant to our readers, but uh, one one that is extremely relevant alongside SFTR is CSDR and the settlement discipline regime within that. So um, obviously, there's there's been a, a, a small delay. On that already, and, and I'm sure people will be very keen for those buying rules to be pushed a little bit further down the line. So, um, do, you know, do you do you think there'll be a bit of a, um, a waiting period now while that's not so pressing before we hear anything from regulators about that specific rule? I think the generally speaking, the, the regulators are sort of approaching things as they come on the timeline. So, as you said, that's a little farther out. So, I don't think we will see immediate action on that. Though I'm sure there will be intense lobbying. From the industry to reconsider or delay the rules further and it's honestly quite possible that policymakers might use the sort of dislocations we've seen um in the bond markets a little bit as a reason to think through uh the settlement discipline because our sort of concerns that it could uh, uh liquidity challenges uh as it is so i think that will be one that there could be a potential rethink on um, that could lead to, if nothing else, a, a further delay of the the rules. I mean, it's already fairly delayed as it is, isn't it? Because <laughs> I think I remember writing something about it in 2012, uh, and then expecting it was expected to come into force in 2014. And God, we're at 2020 now. Good lord, um, it's relatively slow. <laughs> a lot of this stuff is pretty delayed. No, I mean, you look, Virginia, you're talking to uh, an editorial team here that covered T2S for, for a decade, waiting for that to come into force. <laughs> we're, we're used to this stuff. I mean, the one thing I'm maybe uh, uh, interested in is the the uncleared margin rules and you know, delaying that for, for well, for phase five for 2021 and phase six, 2022, because uh, probably a lot of firms were beginning to start making some of those um technology updates and, and making that process maybe a lot more automated and then trying to um, get the documentation amended with uh, and set up arrangements with custodians and, and, and other counterparties. So it'd be interesting to know, you know how much of a help that's going to be or, or are they going to still try to carry on with those um, preparations as if it was still going to happen in, in, this year in 2021? 
So I think that uh, I, in an ideal world, for you know the firms that are caught by the fifth wave should continue their preparations. Realistically speaking, in the face of everything that's going on, obviously priorities and researchers uh, resources are a bit stretched. So there is a possibility that firms will will take their foot off the gas a little bit um, in their preparations. Though I certainly would recommend against that. I mean, I think the the sooner firms get their uh, solutions in place, the better off they'll be. But I think human nature is what it is. So you'll probably see some of these buy side firms that were caught by the fifth wave um, sort of redirect their their energies to more pressing issues in the short term. I mean, I'm, I'm an old cynic. I think whenever you do have finished delays like this, people go, whoo, well, we'll just, you know, kick that down the road a little bit. I mean, even, even in but thinking about the circumstances now, these guys are, are probably really freaking out about staying in business. So, I mean, they've got real short-term priorities that they, you know, given the size of some of the firms at the back end of this, um, you've really got to think about their future and, and how to continue as normal. Uh, so they're prioritizing in the right way, I, I guess. That's, that's what we're supposed to be giving the breathing room to do, right? We want to make sure that the industry is resilient. Um, and that's why we delay things to make sure that they can focus on on their own, you know, day to day activities. Make sure that they can stay in business. Absolutely, yeah. And and even when you know these delays run out, I can't imagine that the regulators are going to come after people uh, immediately for for not reporting the right things. Um, you know, some will be more pressing than others. But uh, you know, and, and on the topic of uh, of reporting, um, yeah, you know, there's a lot of kind of regulatory reporting systems online. Um, but Virginia, I want to ask you about this. Do you think there could be some problems in terms of increased dependency on like cloud and, and VPNs um, moving forward? Well, I mean, we've had some issues already. Um, I've been talking to ops teams uh, at various uh, different financial institutions, both buy side and sell side, in terms of the number of VPNs that people have, um, connectivity you know, to, to, to broadband capacity. I mean, all kinds of issues have cropped up as a result of this that people really haven't thought about before. I mean, obviously, we've done some degree of business continuity planning. People have done testing and things like that, done some documentation. I don't think we've been as sensible as we could have been as an industry in terms of, of, of thinking about a pandemic, given um, there's been talk about pandemics for, for years now. Um, and we did have uh, quite a few years ago uh, a, an industry-wide test for, you know, exercise to see if we could uh, cope with this kind of situation. Um, we didn't really take it as seriously as we, we could have done. Um, this is definitely a good proving ground for all of the regulators out there to make notes on and see where deficiencies have happened. And certainly if we think about the cloud providers, obviously um, a lot of movement towards the cloud has been very slow as an industry, um, particularly in the public cloud realm. Uh, most large firms only have you know, less than 10% of their stack in a cloud environment. Lots of technologies are not cloud enabled. Um, so being able to access things quickly and easily uh, without having to put workarounds in place isn't isn't uh, possible. Uh, they've had to do a lot of IT IT departments of having to to try and sort all of this out. Uh, they're already short staffed. They're already going through stress because they're working at home, as as we all talked about at the front, you know, the start of the um, the hour. It, it, it's kind of it's it's tough. I I think it's it's uh, it's a challenge to be able to 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 
to look at, at how you um, update your technology and make sure that you're still keeping the lights on at the same time. So prioritization has to go towards the most important functions. Sometimes rec reporting isn't the most important function, uh, unfortunately, but so it may slip. You can't say um, that in a reg podcast. <laughs> I don't know. If you think about it prioritization wise, uh, it's uh, it's always about making money rather than and staying in business rather than unfortunately ticking boxes. Um, as long as you do a good enough job and keep the regulators off your back, dare I say that's that's kept uh, most firms, you know, happy enough and out of uh, out of trouble for some time. Although how long that lasts, who knows? But certainly, I think that's uh, that's that's always been the attitude of the industry. There, sadly, uh, we probably need a bit of a cultural change around FinReg. Um, maybe this will compel more people to to buy into RegTech. Um, I hope so. Certainly, there are certain things I, I think are obvious. The fact that we're having to take notes, paper notes of traders' conversations, for example. I know that's more relevant to the trade community than it is for the GC community, but certainly that blows my mind that um, you know market abuse is being <laughs> left up to the traders. It's like the the fox is in in charge of the hen at the hens. <laughs> I mean, one one story I found interesting was the. Uh, um, you know the requirements about phone records and, and trying to trying to stay on top of that with with everyone working from home and and keeping a track of I don't know WhatsApp group chats and and, and uh, text messages and, and phone calls from with people working remotely and, and how they, you know, the possibility of maybe insider trading maybe increasing more uh, with everyone working from home. Well, I mean, that certainly it does go up and, and technology is out there that you can use to be able to track this stuff effectively. Um, just a lot of firms haven't deployed that technology. It tends to be quite expensive, unfortunately, because some of it is, you know, next gen tech and, and there's a price tag associated with that. But certainly uh, as more cheaper options come on the markets, it does beg the question whether firms should make more investment in reg tech. I think that'll that'll come in, into increased focus from from the point of the regulators, uh, especially given you know paper copies of of uh, or you know typing things in. It's like the nineteen sixties again, um, where we're taking notes and have you know typing up our you know excuses as to what's gone on. You know, my my internet went down. That's why I was slow in in responding to this or something like that. You know, there's there's going to be a lot of the dog at my homework uh, stuff going on, unfortunately. But uh, market abuse will be very hard to track in this environment. And do you think there may be a possibility of increased settlement fails and trade fails for everyone, you know, maybe manually keying in swift messages or, or and stuff like that? I mean, I think that's always a problem. Um, I wouldn't say, I mean, this environment's not going to help, um, but we've all, we've got a lot of issues. I mean, if you look at the request that SIFMA made, what was it last week that asked, you know, can we please, you know, have some sort of back office tasks that are paper-based, um, you know, have some compensation for those, you know, make sure that the regulators um, know that we can't send paper checks through <laughs> to, to clients. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that, that you know, this throws into the spotlight that you think, God, we should have addressed this how many years ago? Goodness, we had Hurricane Katrina, which waterlogged a lot of paper, but we still have got a lot of paper processes out there. It's, it's terrifying. So... I think that's a, I think it's an interesting point. I think that COVID-19 actually could be, in a lot of ways, a catalyst for change for some parts of the industry, um, and a catalyst for modernization. Um, there's still, as Virginia said, there's still a lot of areas that require physical documents, hard copies, and signatures, um, such in areas such as account opening. And we could actually see a lot of markets reassess where they're requiring these sort of more 
old fashioned paper based processes to move to a more digital uh, reality. So, so before we finish, I mean, let's, let's sort of talk about uh, the topic of operational resiliency. Um, and how regulators you know, might view what's going on in the market. The FCA is they've they've put out a, a consultation paper on operational resiliency, and, and, and this perhaps maybe the testing grounds for whether the, the industry can cope. So, so Virginia, what, what do you make of that? I mean, it's perfect testing ground for the FCA, isn't it? I mean, uh, they've obviously delayed the responses to the consultation paper by a few months. Um... <laughs> Which seems a little odd because I mean, obviously, you've got real live data that's being gathered. But I suppose give it a few few months, then we'll see a lot more about um, what they're looking for. I mean, they're interesting. They're they're interested in seeing you know firms' communication plans. They're looking at you know their own self assessments. They want to to see that um, they've learned some lessons um, around what's happened. Have they been able to you know live up to some of the powerpoints they've put together in previous? Uh, investigations. Obviously, the FCA can't go on site to check any stuff at the moment. That's another thing that I guess is frustrating to them. Um, but they they will um, once everything is the lockdown is lifted, people can go in and go on site and speak to firms. I imagine they will be sort of holding a lot of them to account. Maybe not this year, but maybe next year, um, as they try and draft more uh, recommendations, guidelines, and uh, rules eventually to to make sure that the, these firms are able to to deal with the technology. The you know able to to be resilient in the face of a crisis such as this, which I, I think you know the priorities will be on consumers and market integrity, but also you know making sure that firms um, have a good understanding of of you know the disruptions and and the, the the details of how they dealt with each of these individual things. I imagine there'll be a lot of documentation that they'll require from firms at the end of this. Sadly, but it'll be a good, it's a good learning experience for everybody. I mean, <laughs> well, wait you, have to, you have to look at the positives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Glass half full. <laughs> like the optimism. Um, Sean, anything to add to that at all? No, I, I think absolutely one of the, the takeaway for regulators um, once things start to normalize is going to be this concept of operational resiliency. And I think that's for regulators sort of globally are going to look at how the industry as an ecosystem and as individual firms dealt with the issues raised uh, by the by the COVID pandemic, and I think that will absolutely steer priorities around the concept of operational resiliency in DCP. Um, and I think that will be something as we look to possible new rulemaking that comes out of COVID. I think that's one area to absolutely pay attention to. One interesting thing I think also to add is that, I mean, obviously the cloud providers, again, I, I can bring them up, is that they're in increased focus. You know, their resiliency is, is, was important and obviously they're, they're becoming systemically important um, given that a lot of firms are now putting stuff up into a cloud environment. But many firms are not multi-cloud at the moment. So I think it will put increased focus on, on people actually becoming multi-cloud for a lot of this stuff, the storage of data and access to systems. I think operational resiliency will throw a light on that. Yeah, uh, cloud and, and cybersecurity and things like that definitely uh, at the forefront of people's minds at the moment, and possibly kind of innovation and uh, technology technological advances uh, taking a, a backseat for, for just a moment. It's time to round things off. Well, that's uh, that's all we've got time for today, um, Kai. So everything good with the sound? Do we need to apologise to anyone for anything uh, being broken up there at all? There was some hit and misses, but that's what happens when you're all on different network providers. The Wi-Fi isn't great in my place, but uh, 
it's not like we can go to a cafe to use their wi-fi so yeah i do apologize but hopefully you got to hear all the the good bits so yeah good and and yeah once we're once this is all over we'll all be back in a studio doing this um we do hope to make this uh, a regular thing so please uh, do subscribe uh, where possible um and i have to give a little bit of a plug to global custodian um we've just released our first uh, quarter magazine so that's actually free to view for the very first time uh, so do log on to globalcustodian.com and you can see the magazine along with all the latest regulatory and security services news updates and um, Sean outside of uh, all the, all the um, social media uh, uh, posts and updates you give us where else can we find um, uh, you know your insights yeah thanks uh, happy to give a, a shameless plug uh, please uh, check out City Security Services Insights um, for our, our latest updates on the, the big issues facing the industry, including, uh, obviously, regulatory challenges. Virginia, any, any plugs you want to make? <laughs> Not at the moment, but you can follow me on Twitter at Virginia O'Shea. That's my handle. I, you, can, you can see some uh, medieval cat memes for, around fintech and finrag. <laughs> Good, good. Um, well, everyone, like I say, do do subscribe. Um, thanks for listening. And yeah, and any feedback, let us know. Um, you can find mine and Joe's details on globalcustodian.com. But for now, um, thanks everyone uh, for your time today and we'll see you again next time. You were listening to There's Always a Fimreg Angle podcast with Global Custodian. 